Welcome to Rust Growth Podcast. I'm here with Alan Smithson, who is the CEO of a company called Metaverse, which is a lead in virtual, augmented, and mixed reality product development company focused on business application. applications. Alan is a LinkedIn VR and AR thought leader with millions of views of, of his articles and videos. He's a mentor for Techstars Toronto and is on X, uh, SX. SXSW Pitch Advisory Board. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. South by Southwest. Right. Um, he built an emulator, the world's first touchscreen DJ system used by LinkedIn Park, LinkedIn Park, Armin van Buren, Microsoft, Sony, Heineken, and many others. Alan, thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's funny because somebody else uh, introduced it as SXSW and then went, oh, yeah, South by Southwest. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's a really hard one to pronounce. And I don't know the best how to pronounce it the right way. But um, anyways, we are here, which is which is awesome. Now, I want to start with your story that you told uh, on TAD that I thought was pretty incredible. Tell me about what was going on, what was going through your mind when you watched your investors stealing your company right from you, firing your wife, and then you lost your house and we were basically homeless. Well, I can tell you it was a long process. It took about a year. And I mean, it started with silly things like, you know, we had a business plan. We Everybody was, you know, was pushing towards the business plan. And then it, it, the investors started making decisions that were outside of the business plan, like, you know, shipping by FedEx instead of shipping by regular, you know, by couriers and things like this to save a few dollars. And, you know, when you ship a giant, you know, piece of hardware with glass in it mm-hmm. by FedEx, they drop it. Every Like, we knew this. We knew this to be a problem. We said, don't do this. And he shipped one and it arrived all busted up. Mm-hmm. And and that was, okay, we're like, okay, well, now we do, you know, see why we don't. Then he did it two more times. And it was like none of us could figure out what was going on. And what he was doing was systematically he was keeping the company going but systematically burning it out of cash so that he could put more money in and dilute us out, which, I mean, that just seems seems like a ridiculous uh, thing to do, mm. um, you know, to, to just waste money like that. But, you know, he, he had a strategy. And over the course of a year, I mean, this led to, you know, huge fights. Obviously, we, you know, we're, we're like, well, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. Why are you doing things differently? And mm-hmm. it was just this kind of conflict from day one. And it, it never, it was a, it was a very uh, toxic environment to work at. And he started trying to pit all of the employees against me. And, you know, it was just, it was terrible to go through. And it, it you know, hmm. there were, I remember one point where I'm standing in, in Miami in, in where we're making the, f- the, in the factory, we're making these things. And I was the only person there. It was like a Sunday or something. It was like a hundred degrees in the warehouse. And I remember like standing there trying to assemble these things because for whatever reason, instead of being the CEO, I was in there building, you know, the, the machines, Right. <laughs> which is cra- crazy because it's not my job. Totally. Like uh, it's, you know. Uh, to save a buck, you know, like get the CEO in there to, to you know, screw drive the thing together. Anyway, this, so I'm standing there. In, Alan, and this was the, sorry, this was a touchscreen DJ system, the one. Yeah, so this is the emulator, the emulator. big see-through touchscreen. So here we are making one of the world's most advanced DJ products in a patio furniture warehouse in Miami. Like, absolutely wow. ridiculous. And I remember just standing there crying and, you know, there was nobody to help me. I was there by myself and I just remember just, just crying and I, I was like I can't do this anymore this is I, I, it's not worth my sanity anymore and so very shortly thereafter maybe like 
you know, two weeks after, um, they ended up firing me. So what he did was he talked to my partners because we owned the board, right? Mm-hmm. We, we had all the votes and everything. And what he did was he went to my partner and said, if you vote him out or if you don't vote him out, I won't pay you this week. Mm. And so, I mean, there's so many things that are illegal about everything he did. But at the end of the day, the, you know, when it was that, that cutoff of, you know, I've been fired, I'm no longer, you know, part of this, I'm out, you know, I'm still a shareholder, but I was out. Uh, he then, you know, transferred the IP into a, you know, a shell company and, and played a bunch of, you know, legal games and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he effectively, you know, did a bunch of illegal things that, you know, he just got away with because I didn't have the resources to, to fight him. And he knew that. And so he just played the game. And so I learned very, very valuable lessons. And, you know, I came out much, much stronger for it. But um, it sucked. I'm not going to lie. How... What did you do to keep yourself going at that time? Like, because it's, uh, you know, you worked for that for, I'm sure it was a, it was a, it was a super hard effort. Like what was maybe the, the things that you did that do, that helped you to go through that time uh, and then later to re- well, luck- rebuild yourself? Sure. Well, luckily uh, I, you know, I have a very good network of, of friends and I, I went to this thing called Archangel Academy which is put on by a friend of mine Geo and you know it's a, a mastermind group of just a bunch of wonderful people and one of the things that I started doing was uh, this thing called the five minute journal uh, by um, by my friend UJ and Alex Icon and they built this this book and it's just a simple book that you write you know in the morning you write three things you're grateful for what you want to accomplish in the day is basically just a very simple five minute journal and in, in the process of writing the three things that I was grateful for every day, every morning, it allowed me to get through some of the darkest times I've ever gone through in my life. And mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, if you're grateful and you have this, this attitude of gratitude, uh, it really, the other stuff doesn't matter. You can't, it's very hard to be angry and grateful at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to be upset and grateful. So anytime you'd kind of start to feel these feelings of, of you know, anger or resentment or whatever, um, I would just kind of look back on my journal or write something else that I was grateful for or just basically say it out loud, I'm grateful for this. And now it's become second habit. You know, this morning I got up and went for a walk and I was like, yeah, I'm really grateful for my dog and grateful for this beautiful day. And just it's just an internal dialogue now. I don't write it down anymore in a book because it's just part of who I am. And I would, you know, tell anybody mm-hmm. if you're going through anything, like just make it part of your day to, to just say or write down three things. Writing it down is way more powerful, but just get in the habit of always expressing gratitude and it makes a big difference in how you deal and manage with things. The other mm-hmm. uh, thing that I, I really found very useful for me is deep breathing exercises and being able to just, you know, when you feel stressed, when you feel that knot in your stomach and you, you know, the phone rings, you look at it and it's that person, you're just like, oh my God, I can't deal with this. Mm-hmm. And you get that, that gut feeling that you're just going to throw up. I find that uh, if you just take three really, really deep breaths, like hold it and then breathe out as slow as you can for, you know, take a minute to breathe out one. And so each breath takes about a minute, minute and a half. Mm. Um, By the time you do three of those, you know, it it takes maybe three minutes or four minutes. You've reset yourself. You reset your physiology. You've reset your mind and you've taken your mind off that thing and you can get back to to a functioning human again. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's something to definitely to try and, and probably do uh, on on a regular basis. Do you have you tried meditating? Any success with that? 
Yeah, uh, I just started meditation this year, actually. Uh, I, I've tried all different meditations, you know, focus on the light and take deep breaths mm -hmm. and all this. And I, my mind is always going. So it, it doesn't, it's never really worked for me because, you know, I'll get three minutes in and I'll either fall asleep or I lose interest and I'm on to something else. Mm -hmm. So what I found that works for me right now is uh, what's called the six-phase meditation by uh, Vishen Lakhiani from uh, Mind Valley, And uh, his whole premise is, you know, meditation can, can really improve uh, our mental well-being. And it's really helped me a lot. And while I would love to say I do it daily, I, I, I'm hit and miss right now, but I, I'm trying to get in that habit. It's, it takes a long time to build a habit. Yeah. And so, you know, I get up in the morning, I do uh, 10 push-ups, mm -hmm. I do 10 curls, and then I do 10 burpees. And then I, you know, I do my meditation, uh, which takes about 15 minutes. So the total is about half an hour, which is nothing out of your day. Right. And that kind of sets you up for this, you know, this great mindfulness um, exercise. And I would recommend it to everybody. The six phase meditation mm -hmm. to me works really great because you're not just kind of focusing on your breath or, you know, you're not trying to block out all thoughts. You're actually thinking about things while you're meditating, but things that are, you know, uh, who, who do you really you know who's in your world that you want to you want to think about and you know how can you make today the best day ever and these types of things and who can you forgive in your life so it's really it's really a great tool yeah um, one other tool that was given to me which was phenomenal and it, it was given to me at, at the perfect time uh it was this kind of words to live by sheet and i printed it off and i put it in my bathroom i read it every morning um but the three things that stood out the most was never condemn criticize or complain and if you think about that, don't condemn people for something because you don't know what's going through their lives. Mm -hmm. Don't criticize people because that's uh, a sign of weak people that criticize others. And don't uh, complain. Nobody really wants to hear you complain ever. So if you kind of constantly have that don't criticize, condemn, or complain attitude, um, you'll live a much happier life. And, you know, it, it has to be done in, as a partnership because... You know, we as as humans, we just you know we complain about things. Oh, it's too hot out. It's too cold All out. The time. Or, you know, you start. You know, like you know, I live in Canada. And it's like we have you know two two seasons: winter and summer. And summer's exactly. a, a week in this. You know, it's one week long. So everybody complains about how cold it is all the time. And then in the summer, they're like, "Oh, it's so hot." I'm like stop complaining about the heat. It's beautiful. Shut up or like move to Alaska. But. Yeah. Um, you know, don't criticize, condemn, or complain was, was one of those things that, and my wife and I, we, we hold each other to it. So if I'm complaining about something, she'll say, don't, don't complain. Or if I criticize something, she'll say, stop criticizing. And it's just a simple, I, I try to capture the, you know, like I've read all sorts of success books. I literally have a wall of success books. I've read all these different books. Right. And I try to take the one or two things out of each one that I can practice on a daily basis. And, you know, deep breathing, meditation, uh, gratitude journal, and um, and don't criticize, condemn, or complain are kind of my fundamentals. Mm. Yeah, they're they're super. I'm sure they're super important and uh, just helps you to to start the day right. Now, was that experience that you unfortunately went through with with your company the one that kind of triggered you to get to VR, AR space, and then look at the education? Actually, um, so. 
what happened was uh, earlier in the year, so I, I got fired from my job in August and or from my, my own company. Uh, and in June, I had gone to this thing called Curiosity Camp, which is a camp put on by uh, Eric Schmidt from Innovation Endeavors. Uh, Eric Schmidt from Google, he has a company called Innovation Endeavors, which is his uh, investment arm. And right. Innovation Endeavors invites tech entrepreneurs, investors, PhD researchers and just a bunch of very smart kind of exponential thinking people to this camp in the middle of the woods with no cell phone service, no Wi-Fi. Interesting concept. And I brought, yeah, it was amazing. So you have real conversations and the conversations uh, range from, you know, the future of food to, um, you know, uh, temporary tattoos where you get an actual tattoo, but then you can use, you know, a, a light source to, you know, to erase it from your arm, you know, by breaking down the vegetable inks and like just random things but these conversations were just so in-depth and so rich because the people uh, that you're talking with are the people making real world changing uh, things so I got I was very very blessed and I got lucky to try VR that that weekend uh, five years ago and I got to try virtual reality uh, by a guy named Chris Milk and Chris Milk is um, is a you know, very prominent VR producer, uh, virtual reality producer. And I got to try this thing where I was standing on stage um, with Beck uh, on a, in a concert looking out into the audience. And mm-hmm. I have this VR headset. I got these big headphones. But I'm standing in a tent in the middle of nowhere. But I'm standing on stage. It was this kind of transfer moment of aha moment where I went, oh, my God, this is the future of how we're going to commu- communicate as humans. And I, it was that combined with losing my company, going through that kind of one year of hell. And then at the same time I was losing my company, my daughter, who was 10 at the time, invented sandals that leave a heart-shaped tan line on top of your feet hmm. and called the love sandal. And I was helping her build her company. And it was all this culmination of me losing my company while she's building her company, seeing VR. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I want to build a, a learning system or an education platform that teaches kids the fundamentals of success rather than um, you know what we're teaching them now in, in schools 100%. because as we move into exponential growth um, meaning you know, like all of these technologies IOT sensors are going to be in everything internet of things sensors um, artificial intelligence or AI virtual augmented mixed reality or XR uh, quantum computing blockchain uh, cloud computing 5g all of these things mm-hmm. are in their nascent stage there are none of them are really, I mean, some are out, you know, there's lots of sensors in the world and, you know, we have high-speed internet and stuff. But in the next five to 15 years, we're going to see this explosive growth of all of these technologies culminating together at the one time. Mm -hmm. And so our current education systems were designed to train you to get a job, you go into the job and you work there forever. Well, that doesn't... Sounds about that right. doesn't compute. Yeah. You know, if you really want to see what's going on in the world, just pick up anybody, pick anybody's LinkedIn profile. Anybody. I don't care. Just randomly pick one out of a, a hat and look at how many jobs they've had in the last five years. You know, it's crazy. People mm-hmm. bounce around. And that's just people are looking for purpose. They're looking for something they can get behind. But they're also looking to be challenged. They're looking for fulfillment in their in their work. You know, a paycheck is part of the equation but is by far and away not the only thing so how do we prepare the next generations to think in a way that's socially uh socially responsible meaning if you build a business how do we take care of your customers and employees first because technology is there to serve humanity not the other way around we we're you know we don't buy iphones to stare at its beautiful camera we buy iphones to take selfies and pictures of our friends to share them with our you know our greater networks so 
we're building tools for humans. So we need to always constantly think of the customer and that. And so you have your social responsibility to make sure that you do things in a socially responsible way. Then you have mm. an economic responsibility. The responsibility of every business is to make money. But that's not the only thing. You know, envir- uh, environmental, social, and economic are the key fundamentals. So if we have social and we're taking care of yeah. our customers and our, our people, we've got economic, we have to make money. Obviously, it doesn't work if you don't make money. And then environmental, what is our environmental impact as we build this business, whatever the business may be? Maybe you're making shoes, maybe you're making uh, a computer program, who knows? But what is the environmental impact of that? And, you know, I think we need to measure the success of a business in those three ways, social, economic, and environmental moving forward. Because as we rapidly move into exponential growth, if we don't think of those three factors in combination with each other, in concert with each other, then we're going to have a real big problem. Because right now, the only measure of success for a business mm-hmm. is economics. Right. And I mean, you talk about that in in your in the way that you look at the education system and you talk about that we have we will be focusing on transformative mindsets and there's a lot of things that go into it so what does that look like what is a transformative mindset and how that will help um, the the next generations to get to to this uh, to look at all of these aspects in building their business sorry can you ask the question again yeah, I mean, so you talk about like how traditional education is broken and then you have this new vision for this new new education system It will use VR, AR, um, and there will be a bunch of different things. But you also talk about the fact that there will be transformative mindset, that you need to focus on a transformative mindset. And do you say that mindset training is more important than necessarily the skill set? So maybe you could talk about that and how would that be... Sure. Um, you know, how would that evolve in the future? Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. What is one skill that you know now? How, how old are you? I'm 28 right now. You're 28. So you have some good life experience behind you. Yeah. What is one skill that you know now that you were never taught in school, but you wish you were? Sales. Okay. Uh, negotiation. What's another one? Negotiation. What's another one? Um, running a business. <laughs> I mean, it's probably... <laughs> okay. So so let, let's break this down. We've got entrepreneurship. You've got sales, and then you've got uh, negotiations. Mm-hmm. So, how about you know communications? Yes. Marketing, financial planning, investing, deep breathing, meditation, gratitude, positivity, surrounding yourself with great people, finding mentors, mentoring others. These are the exponential skill sets or mindsets that will allow you as a human to have a lifelong learning. Because let's be honest, if I ask you a question right now about a fact, how long do you think it will take you to find the answer? It'll probably take a couple seconds in Google, but if we're not connected online, that, that's I probably won't know, obviously. Okay, so when in your day are you not connected online? Almost all the time, all the time, 24-7. Okay, so if we're fully connected all the time and it's only getting faster, we have... Uh, you know, we've got Google speakers, we've got, you know, Siri, we've right. got Amazon, we've got all these tools to give us real factual data all the time, immediately. Mm-hmm. So factor in the fact that in five to 10 years from now, we'll wear glasses and all of that information will be in context around us. If I look at, uh, if I look at a car, it'll tell me the make and model and how much it costs and where I can buy it. Yeah. And I can just click it and buy it right away. Like 
if, if, if you look five years out, we're going to wear glasses and those will give us all, uh, you know, kind of superpowers in giving us all the information in context around us. So if the information that we need at any given time is already available to us, why are we still training people to memorize that information? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a super outdated system. Uh, but it, it, it also the fact that it, it comes from this very old you know, it's like I think you have a slide showing how people sit or sit in the class uh, in eighteen hundred, like eighteen hundred, and it's pretty much the same thing. It's like a, it's a people who or the education that develops people to uh, do one thing for the rest of their life and uh, memorizing is really weird. But I'm I'll be honest, like I'm from Ukraine, from Eastern Europe, and we still like students still have to memorize books by heart because that's how it's supposed to to be which is really weird but they still do it well <laughs> that's everywhere in the world that's not in ukraine it's it's it, that's the systems that we built for training people and they've done a phenomenal job at training millions of people to be at a certain level and standard and you know what i'm talking about is not going to replace that we still need to learn math we still need to learn about history we still need to learn about geography so the school systems are doing a phenomenal job at delivering that and also right. let's be honest we could probably compress the timelines of any grade so if i take a grade 6 student and take their curriculum i you know if we used you know uh, exponential technologies such as virtual augmented reality and mm -hmm. artificial intelligence we could probably you know and this is inf inferring from uh, the results we're seeing in enterprise. Enterprise are seeing enterprise clients. Uh, our enterprise clients are seeing uh, fifty to seventy percent improvements in training. And what that means is they're seeing up to seventy percent uh, less time to train, and up to seventy percent higher retention rates mm. of those things. And uh, and it's off the charts on satisfaction uh, of the training. So if you and we're only scratching the surface of what can be done with virtual augmented reality and you know, artificial intelligence. But if you you know think, okay, well, Netflix uses AI algorithms to give you better movies mm -hmm. to watch. Why couldn't we personalize education? So if you took a grade six student, took the curriculum that, that they're taught in eight months in North America, you could probably get that entire curriculum crammed in and get them proficient in, a, in probably, I would say, a three-month period. Mm -hmm in nine weeks rather than eight months and you know it, it wouldn't help us in the long run because we still need a place to send our kids while we work mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know our, we're we're pretty inefficient uh you know systems in educating and i think you know it's it's not a lack of you know a lack of um interest in it i think it's just you know the technology is just starting to come online virtual and augmented reality is new and you know it's it's going to take a few years for school boards to kind of realize the, the full impact of this. And for, in my opinion, it starts with enterprise. If we can prove real ROI business use cases for training people in these technologies, which we're already seeing right across the board from, from VR and AR training, mm. people learn in three dimensions. And so if we can take those, those benchmarks from enterprise and then start to apply them in higher education and K to 12, um, and then, you know, alter it so slightly so that it's gamified because let's be honest mm -hmm. our anything that we teach kids uh through an ipad or a, a computer screen or even vr anything we we do is going to be compared to triple a games because they're going home and playing Fortnite, and you know that's you know it's <laughs> the Fortnite has a team of 500 people working on that and you know it, it's a triple a game you know like right we're competing our education systems competing with hollywood movies and triple a games mm-hmm so how are you going to keep people's interest? So yeah, you know, the way to do that. Part, 
Yeah. yeah. And, and VR is one of those things that allows you to have 100% engagement because when you have VR on, you have the headphones on and you're fully immersed, you can't check your phone. Right. It's just like one simple thing. You can't check your phone while you're in VR yet. I mean, I'm sure somebody will come up with a, <laughs> a way to do that. But, yeah. So true. But it's all, yeah, it's so true. Education, I mean, considering how conservative it really is in the school boards, it probably will take a bit of time uh, considering the people who are at like in, in making decisions, they probably don't quite understand how the technology works. Um, and it and to be honest, the people making the solutions don't really understand how the technology works. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I do a podcast called the XR for Business podcast. And yesterday I interviewed um, Todd Maddox is a PhD in cognitive research. And he's written, you know, countless uh, articles and, and peer reviewed journal articles on uh, the cognitive science behind why virtual and augmented reality and 3D learning works so much better. Like, mm. you know, it's really hard to say, go to a client and say, hey, we're going to improve your training by 70%. They're like, yeah, right, whatever. You know, <laughs> they just laugh you out of the, the thing. But here's the thing. I, I interviewed um, uh, this woman, Shelly Peterson, and she's with Lockheed Martin. Mm -hmm. And they ran some trials uh, doing augmented reality, so glasses that you can kind of see the real world but overlay some data. So they wanted to be able to assemble a thing that normally you have a paper, uh, like a, a three-ring binder full of all the information. So page by page, it's step-by-step step how to, you know, how to bolt the screws in and the wiring harness and everything. So they compared what they were doing currently, and then they used AR overlays to, to give it kind of hands-free, you know, heads-up display. Mm -hmm. They saw in their first trial, they saw a 99% improvement. Mm. <laughs> so they ran the trial again because, as you, you know, as a, as a big company, and you're like, okay, that, that's something, something was wrong. This is not right. They ran it again. They saw the same, same result. They right. ran it again. They ran it three times and saw the same result. So she actually took it to her executive team and said, hey, mm. um, you know, we implemented this uh, as, a, as a pilot, uh, and here are the results. And she actually, reduce the results to 85% just because, you know, going to the the executive team and saying, hey, this improved by 99%. They're mm -hmm. like, yeah, we don't believe you. Go try it again. And she's like, well, we did it three times. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so good. it's, you know, if if companies like that are see, starting to see these result, results, guess what they're going to do? They're going to invest right. more in that because what other process can you implement in a business that creates that kind of improvement? Mm-hmm. And why and why people learn faster in 3D? Is that context or is there, what are some of the reasons uh, in your opinion that-, that Well, you, there's a lot of reasons. Um, I, I think, you know, in the, when we learn through reading and listening and stuff, you, you're really getting information into the prefrontal cortex. You're just, you're collecting this information but it's like a RAM problem, like right? you know, when you overload your computer and right. it starts to kind of bog down. Well, you can only jam so much information into the prefrontal cortex before it becomes overloaded. But when you're doing something where you're you're physically learning something and you're you're involved in it and you're experiencing it in 3D or with your hands and you're actually doing it, it, it activates all the different parts of the brain. So mm -hmm. it's it's activating the emotion centers. It's activating, um, you know, the prefrontal cortex is learning, but everything is learning all at the same time. And so, you know, I would, you know, if you really want to dig deep into this, yeah. look up Todd Maddox. Um, he's got a ton of different uh, research papers on this, and he digs deep into the uh, the real reasons, you know, the, the physiological mm -hmm. reasons of why this works. And it comes down to the fact that our world is 3D. Right. You know, I, you know, we've been staring at little boxes, little square rectangles, um, 
to to consume our content for a hundred years. It's so true. It's also funny because I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast with Elon Musk, and I was just blown away by his thinking. And he talked about how can we uh, reduce the traffic problem. And he says, "Look, I mean, streets are all 2D. They 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 kind of like they kind of suck. So what we really want is to dig down tunnels and create like a 3D model of of uh, transportation where you could m- make it." a lot more controllable and, and have a lot less traffic and it was just amazing the way that he thought like everything is like basically yeah well the problem is you know once we build infrastructure like in, in when i say infrastructure roads uh schools the, this is the infrastructure we've spent billions and billions of dollars building infrastructure we have schools you know we've got uh unions for teachers we've got systems we've got levels of government to pay for it like we have built a system that is reticent, that is reticent to change. It's really hard to change a system that works. And it's really hard to say, look, we know the system works now, but if you project out five, ten years from now, the system's gonna be gonna be so flawed that it won't be a you like you gotta start the changes now in order to catch up. But when you have a system that works and has worked for so long, you know, hundred hundred years of education really, or yeah. hundred and fifty years. You know, it's very hard to change. Like if you look at corporations, you know, Blockbuster is a prime example. Mm -hmm. Netflix went to sell their company to Blockbuster for $50 million and Blockbuster executives laughed them out of the room (laughs) because they literally, they laughed them. They had two opportunities to buy Netflix and they never did. So what happened was they looked at their current business model and said, well, mailing people DVDs is ridiculous. That's never going to scale. You're never going to compete with our stores, hmm. which made sense if you only looked at the now. But if you looked five years out, when the web became a broad enough pipeline to deliver content through the web where you didn't have to mail DVDs, the mailing of the DVDs was just a stopgap to buy them time till the web caught up with their vision. Mm-hmm. Their vision was never to mail DVDs to player. It was to... to um, stream video content over the internet right and so blockbuster you know clearly <laughs> clearly these executives you know and it's funny because it's a huge case study and kodak is the same and there's you know sears and there's there's been these monster you know decade old companies leading the charge and they just missed that now what happens when the education system is one of those companies that fail to deliver that right it was black. I was like, just thinking BlackBerry too. Well, to add to the list, with BlackBerry is another one. You know, BlackBerry had the world, you know, as its oyster. It had every corporation, every business locked into these contracts, and they failed to kind of keep up with the times. You know, when when the iPhone came out, you know, business people were like, "Oh, screw that stupid iPhone! It's just a toy. I like my keyboard." But then, as more and more people you know, as more and more functionality came out with the iPhone is like, oh, I can use it for this and I can use it for that. I can, I, wow, why can't I do that on my BlackBerry? But it was also, and then yeah. The key with BlackBerry, oh my God, they, they could have won this battle. Mm-hmm. They didn't put enough value in their one thing that, that was sticky and that was their B2B messaging service or their, their BlackBerry to BlackBerry messaging service. Right. They had by far and away the best messaging service in the world for B2B, from BlackBerry to BlackBerry. Absolutely. And you could send photos, you could do... And then all of a sudden, they were so cocky about it and they never really told anybody about it. They never aver- advertised that feature. They just, they advertised security and, and the keyboard. That was their, right. their, you know, and security, 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 and keyboard. And then Apple comes along and goes, well, we're just as secure. And by the way, the messaging thing that they did, yeah, ours is better now. Mm-hmm. 
and now you can do video calls on our phone. Yeah. And so, you know, everybody started jumping ship. And as soon as you have this kind of critical mass where nobody is on BlackBerry Messenger anymore, I remember I was one of the very last person people on a BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I, I remember my BlackBerry Messenger, you know, I'd scroll through the list and, you know, everybody was starting to be grayed out because they, did, they weren't there anymore. Mm. So when your contact list can no longer contact you... <laughs> You have a network effect that failed. So, but they had yeah. it for so long that they just never leveraged it. It was pr- definitely a huge one, and but it's also weird. I think you know when people are, they they know a lot. It's a lot easier to get to caught up and in, in all this um, in all this data and make a wrong decision when you know like an average consumer picks up an iPhone and they pick up a BlackBerry in 2007 in summer when Apple released a pro like a, just a preview and it was a no brainer. But I mean, when they everybody looks at the spreadsheets and, and, and business models and everything, they're like, no, 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 it doesn't make sense. We, we still like our product. But it was there was also a big part of how Apple made the virtual keyboard work. There was a, this crazy algorithm that was yeah. improved accuracy. And as we know, all algorithms can be improved a lot. So it, and, yeah. the, and the tech can be improved. So that means like the, the actual physical keyboard will always be the way it is but that the algorithms and the technology will improve so much then they're just it's so it's funny like it's it's not even worth it well somebody somebody said to me you know the other day i had an argument i said you know we're going to be seeing self-driving uh trucks uh big you know delivery trucks not delivery but long long haul you know ones that drive across Mm. the country we're going to be starting to see those in the next five years on the roads replacing drivers and they were arguing no 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 i said look and they started, you know, well, autonomous vehicles are crashing. I'm like, okay, so let, let's break this down for a second. When an autonomous vehicle crashes, the, the lessons and information learned from that one crash make every single other autonomous vehicle better. When a human crashes, nobody gets better. 100%. Like, it's not like you learn the lessons and and then, by the way, every other human just got better at driving because Bob in in Arkansas crashed his car and we all learned from it. No, like, I didn't get a, I didn't become a better driver overnight, but every autonomous vehicle on the road did because of the network of it. It's exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing as a keyboard algorithm. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's crazy. The other day I saw a guy's phone, like, (laughs) like I'm talking Monday or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, I saw this guy's phone and he had a, a hardware thing plugged into it that gave him a, a BlackBerry star, BlackBerry style keyboard on his Android. Wow! It was just a Bluetooth thing that he bought on Amazon. He's like, oh yeah, check it out. I bought it for thirty bucks on Amazon. <laughs> Jesus. So there, there goes your hardware button problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> somebody figured that out. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, it's so true. Let me. You're not uh, the only one that can make a physical hardboard uh, keyboard. Yeah. What do you, um, Alan? What do you think about uh, flying cars? I mean, um, you you talk about. I think you you sure. said the flying cars gonna happen like um, it's already happening so I actually had a call last week with a company in um, oh I can't remember where they are actually in the states somewhere they're it's a research company they're they're researching and their goal is to make a a flying motorcycle like a motorcycle jet Hmm. thing uh, flying jet motorbike thing Mm -hmm. it's really awesome Um, they're still in early stages but if you look to Dubai Dubai is already transporting people using uh, drone drone copters Mm. and you know this year at CES uh, in 2019 CES Bell helicopters or now Bell Mm -hmm. they released uh, and showed off their version of their giant people moving uh, you know thing it was like a Mm. you know like a giant drone but giant I'm talking like you know the, the rotors were 15 feet across and there's, you know, just a massive thing. It, it piloted five people fully autonomously wow. and 
you know, they're going to release that in 2023. That's mm-hmm. their goal is to release that in 2023. And that, think about it, you can now go from your home in the burbs downtown in seconds. Like, you know, helicopters are expensive, but these things are getting cheaper and cheaper and they're autonomous. You don't need a pilot and, you know, they're ele- well, they will be electric. Yeah. So this is coming and it's not going to look like a, a traditional car that we know and it's you know it's going to have wings pop out and fly away that's ridiculous it's going to be a drone right. that takes business people from their office building in the city to their cottage in like 15 minutes and it totally makes sense what i was curious about and this was the conversation that Elon Musk talked about with with Joe Rogan was that it does create so much noise because it sucks in a ton of air uh, into the propellers, and it's mm-hmm. super noisy. And we get you get a lot of them. It was super noisy. How will will it be allowed for? Like, will people be okay with that? Because it's going to be really. Yeah, real- I think. Yeah, I think what you're going to find is um, there'll be just certain height restrictions, right? So mm. you'll be able to kind of fly down, land, pick up somebody, and go st- straight up. And you have to fly at a you know, the certain height is you know maybe three thousand feet for you know for commercial uh, craft and 2000 feet for personal craft. And right. then, you know, it, it, you have to avoid airlines. Like somebody's got to figure out air traffic control for these things. And they will. I, I met a company about a year ago and they were working on mm-hmm. a computer vision uh, algorithm for mapping the spatial thing. So if you have a drone, every drone has got a camera on it. Uh, and basically using computer vision and a bunch of, you know, GPS algorithms, they're able to track in 3d space where these are and give them a, a predictable flight path. Mm-hmm. So once you have, regulations around predictable flight paths and if you take the sound of a drone a a large people moving drone compared to a helicopter it's a fraction of the sound Mm -hmm. and we let helicopters fly all over the place anyway right well yeah i mean it's going to be probably more but i I, it's not it's it's definitely going to be quite a bit quieter right it's it's a lot quieter than a regular helicopter and we let them fly all over cities all the time what do you think about the tunnels tunnels like um what elon is doing is that is it something like hyperloop yeah um i don't know too much about the hyperloop system i, I mean the idea makes sense it's you know it's a huge infrastructure problem right or, yeah. or, or challenge you've got to dig uh you know a 50 foot hole under the ground you know through miles and miles of rock mm-hmm. um it's not undoable i mean we we dug the channel Uh, as humans we we, know i'm not saying we i'm saying somebody dug the channel um we we dig through mountains all the time it's it's not an unreasonable human engineering feat to dig a tunnel from la to to san francisco Mm -hmm. and then put tube a tube in it that runs on you know uh, electromagnetic forces to to keep it um you know to eliminate the uh the friction. friction. friction? Yeah. So really, if you have a frictionless tube where you can park your car on it, sit in your comfortable car, and in 15 minutes you're in L.A. from San Francisco in your own car. Right. Because you need a car in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be screwed. But I think it's very doable. It's, you know, the technology is not really that new. It's it's making it viable and, and cost effective. But I think, you know, the one thing about Elon Musk is, he looks at things from a fundamental problem standpoint. So he looks at, okay, what is the fundamental problem? The fundamental mm-hmm. problem is that getting from San Francisco to LA takes either, you know, f- four to six hours, well, six hours mm-hmm. to drive. It takes, uh, you know, three hours by train or an hour and a half by plane. Right. Okay. So if that's the fundamental problem, what can we do to make it exponentially better? Like not create a, a tube that delivers me in an hour and a half because then I'm just competing with a plane. I could just get on an aluminum tube, fly through the sky and I'm there. But what can better. I do to get people? Yeah. Like three times better. 
you know, 30 minutes from, from San Fran to LA and I'm there in my own car. Mm-hmm. So he thinks of things from the fundamental problem and, and how do we do it exponentially better? And that's what I think, um, if we go back to education, I think that's what virtual augmented and mixed reality and artificial intelligence uh, will allow us to do is think exponentially better. So rather than deliver just you know incremental improvements on education, I think we can deliver exponential improvements on education. How did you taught uh, your uh, your daughter Abby gratitude mentorship purpose that he became she became super successful top twenty under twenty uh, and then she was accepted to Ryerson Digital Media Zone uh, was the youngest ever um, was did you like build a program or because you, you taught her a bunch of things about business about finance and, and and entrepreneurship like was there like what was the concept that you um, that you created or was it just like depending on what she was learning how, how, how was it working how did it work well she came with the idea of starting a business and I said okay well in order to start a business you got to write a business plan so I made her write a whole business plan customer journey who, who are the ideal customers if you were to have any you know any uh, influencers in the world who would it be and like we went through page by page of you know a business model canvas really mm-hmm. was what it was okay and um, so we, we had a book called Business Model Canvas Generation and we went through page by page and before she was even allowed to design the shoes, I made her do the business plan. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the fundamental thinking around that. And then we got her some mentors. So she was mentored by the president of Aldo, who Aldo's a huge shoe company in Canada and the US. Um, yeah. So if you want to learn how to do something really fast, find the person who's done it the best in the world mm-hmm. and ask them to mentor you. Now, it sounds easy, easier than it is because, you know, these people are busy and they're, they're doing things. Right. But if you, if you really have a passion for something and you are, are really dedicated, then you're going to, you say to yourself, I am going to be the world leader in this or the best at this. Mm-hmm. Who can I learn from that's, that's better than me at this now? And that will change over time. As you become more and more proficient at what you do, you're, you're, uh, level at which the person that you, you need to talk to, your mentor, uh, will increase as well. So, you know, I have, I've had mentors over the years that I've outgrown, and, and it, it sounds trite, but it's not. You know, mm. you outgrow the lessons. You're like, okay, you got me to here, and thank you, and, you know, we've, we've remained friends forever, but I've learned all I can from your experience. I need to find a new mentor who's done, you know, the next thing that I need to do. Mm-hmm. And you can do that through books. You could do it through podcasts. The, the great thing about where we are right now in, in humanity is that you can listen to a podcast and get all the gems from these the world's smartest people. Like Tim Ferriss made a whole book called Tools of Titans Absolutely. based on his podcast interviews of smart people and him just asking questions that he wanted to know. So the knowledge is being shared at a rate where we've never seen before. And I think the the next step for that is to capture that that knowledge and, the, and that information in virtual reality so that we can then provide just that one more level of, uh, of immersion and, mm-hmm. and better training. So let's say, you know, for people who are listening, let's say they want to find a mentor, maybe they know what they want to do. And there's obviously going to be a ton of people, like a thousand people, maybe more who wants who wants to you know steal some time from that person what do the, what do they need to do to get attention to get in touch with them is it some sort of a project show that i'm actually just doing something uh and have some validation or what are some of the steps that they could take i think it's it's like anything where you if you say i'm going to do something so you got to do something 
you know you can read as much as you you have to be able to hold a uh, you know, a reasonable conversation with this person. So before right. you go and hit up the head of AI for Microsoft and say, <laughs> I want to have a meeting. No, no seriously. And, and you can. Trust yes. me, the head of AI for Microsoft is a guy named Stephen Guggenheimer. He's a very approachable guy, very nice. You know, he, he spent years being uh, an evangelist for the company. So he's very, very open to conversations like this. Okay. But before you go have a conversation with him and phone him up and say, hey, I want to I want to pick your brain. And first of all, never message somebody saying, I want to pick your brain. Yeah. That is literally like, when I get messages like that and I, and I you know, I, I try not to be rude. I try to tell people like, if you want to pick my brain, I'm $500 an hour. How many hours do you want? And right. a minimum three hours. So if you want to pick my brain, no problem. But you got to pay for that. If if you're coming at it from a hey I um, I've been studying AI for for the last year uh, I've built this project I've done this right. um, you know my 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 you know uh, my network is this this and this and you know would you consider having coffee with me I want to ask you these ten questions Completely be very different. specific be very genuine but be very direct of what you want out of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because very busy people, they they want to know what's your uh, what's your purpose, and what's the desired outcome. And and that that when I take a meeting, it's like what's the purpose of this? Okay, you have a purpose for this. What's our desired outcome at the end of this? And can we get to that? And if I don't even think we can get to the, you know like if you say okay, well I want to have the, have you on the podcast, and our desired outcome is to inspire uh, you know the world's children to eat better, eat more you know healthier. Right. Well. I know nothing about eating healthier. I, mm-hmm. I know I know a little bit because I eat healthy, but that's not my forte. I'm not going to take that call. I'm sorry, I can't help you. But here's maybe you know the worst thing you're going to get is no, and the best thing you're going to get is a meeting with them somewhere in between. Maybe it's like, oh, you know what? I'm not the right person to talk to. But Sally over here in this division, yeah. let me make an introduction. So what you have to understand is successful people. Never got there, never. Not one successful person in this world ever got there by themselves. And 99% of them, uh, I'd say almost 100%, but Mm -hmm. you never know. Mm -hmm. 99% of these people had help along the way and had people that they asked for help and those people said yes to help them. It's And as you ask people for help, you get to a certain level and other people will ask you. So, you know, asking somebody to pick their brains is is a no-no, but asking somebody to help you uh, with a very specific question or, or, you know, deliverable or outcome, people will help you. Humans are here to help each other. Right. And so just having the, and you said, you know, what if there's a thousand people asking? Guess what? There's not. Yeah. You want to know why? Because people are afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not. There's not a thousand right. people asking. I guarantee yeah. you. Yeah, I've, no, I've noticed that. I noticed that uh, by just reaching out to a different people personally uh, for for my own questions. And I noticed that um, I think there's probably a thought that oh, this guy he's he's that whatever he did like all of this. He's like super famous, but um, that doesn't really mean that a lot of people talk to them uh, or they or people actually send a compelling message that makes sense versus our versus like a pick pick your brain type of style message uh so so I t- i've seen that personally but it's just uh i feel like it's hard sometimes for people to to grasp well yeah i mean if you think about it fear is the greatest uh, the greatest challenge that we have and, and fear is only our own perception of something right yeah and is it uh and i wanted to ask you that is it um i had a guest on the podcast uh, the ceo of a company called polar they're a tech media company and he talked about the 
crazy importance of psychology and business and he said he'd, he'd start with psychology if he had to start you know do it all, all over again like where do you place psychology in in the business context well i wish i'd studied it as well to be honest <laughs> in retrospect mm. because if you think about it anything to do with business is is dealing with people right people you know robots and ai don't buy things people buy things and people buy things that help them and and you know nobody's ever been sold anything it's really only been things that they've purchased to solve a problem in their life you don't go into a, a car dealership if you don't need a car <laughs> like, yeah you just you know maybe try it out and have some fun on the weekend i don't know but you, you don't typically go and waste your time if you're not interested in a car you don't need that you know car you know if you have a problem that you need solved or you know and, and here's the other thing with sales is sales and marketing maybe uh, shows you problems that you didn't even know you had mm. right so for example when we go to customers and say hey you know we know you're doing training you've rolled out this awesome training it's working for you but this you know what we're doing now is an is a you know exponential improvement on that so it's solving a problem you didn't even know you had and and by the way the real valuable companies solve problems that the world doesn't know they have. So, for example, Uber didn't try to create more taxis. Mm -hmm. They tried to create a new transportation system leveraging the world's people to solve a, a fundamental problem of transportation. They didn't just try to create more taxis. They yeah. created a whole new system. So they solved a problem that most people didn't know they had. And actually, most people didn't have. You know, Up until Uber came along, there was nothing wrong with taxing, taking a taxi. Yeah, it's like Twitter but now. Like, but now yeah. I land in Vancouver or some yeah. you know archaic city that doesn't have Uber, and I'm paralyzed. I'm like, holy crap! What do I do? Where do I go? Ah, what do you mean I don't? What? Yeah, <laughs> and so you know, true. it's 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 paralyzing. And you know, one of the th one of the crazy stories we were in Vancouver last year, mm -hmm. which I don't know, Vancouver City, get get your shit together, get Uber <laughs> back in there. But we we got out of the cab and walked away, and the cab drivers chased us down the street because we hadn't paid. Yeah, because. Because that just seems so archaic to have to pay in the taxi cab. Like, it should be just all automatic like it is with Uber. <laughs> Do they have Lyft at all? or No, the ride-sharing is banned in the city of Vancouver. It's oh so my God. stupid. Well, I mean, I, I guess uh, Beck is having a good time or whoever's there. <laughs> well, I think that's what happened was uh, the taxi, you know, unions or whatever blocked it. But, mm. yeah, whatever. What is, um, what, are some of, what is the controversial or the most controversial thing that you believe in? So I think the most controversial thing, and, and it's funny because I don't think it's controversial at all because I think people, once they really think about it, mm -hmm. uh, will will understand. The greatest exponential, uh, sorry, existential risk that we have as humanity is the lack of uh, forward-thinking education. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a really big statement. So think about it. The, the largest risk that we have as humanity is education. Right. And it's not environmental, it's not economic, it's it's not war, it's not famine, it's education. Because all of those other things can be remedied with education. Mm. So if we fundamentally change how and what we teach people to think in terms of exponential growth and in mindset and in positivity and also social, environmental and economic responsibilities, if we can fundamentally change the mindset of the next generations, to think like that, then we'll have solved all the problems. Because instead of teaching somebody, hey, what job do you want to get when you get older? It's, hey, what problem in the world do you want to solve? Or how are you going to serve humanity? 
those are fundamental key shifts in mindset. And if we can do that at an early enough age in a systemic level, then we will be able to solve any problem that the that that we create for ourselves. Because look, at, we've created a lot of problems. We were, you know, we're destroying the oceans. We're, you know, acidifying, yeah. uh, you know, huge swaths of land. Like we're doing horrible things to this earth. But if we continue on the path of just teaching everybody what job do you want to get and make money, you know, <laughs> then, then we'll never solve these problems. Like, so education is the greatest existential risk to humanity. Totally. And it's also or, like, it, it also makes sense from like a stats perspective, right? If we look at the all population on the planet, like how many people are actually inventing stuff or solving problems? Probably maybe like 5%, maybe 2%. And if we can like increase that number by just maybe like by a few percent, that's probably going to be massive in terms of the outcome and in terms of like what will we be able, what kind of problems we'll be able to solve. And then just uh, in terms of scaling any technology and, and just the, the well-being. It's interesting. I, I, um, I'm a mentor for this group called TKS, the Knowledge Society. And they take kids 13 to 18 years old. Uh, and it's a, it's a course. It's, it takes about a year. It's about 6,000 a year. And they take mm. the, best of the, the best and brightest of these kids. And these kids are interested in uh, artificial intelligence and blockchain and cryptocurrencies mm. and you know, uh, molecular genetics. Um, now, one of, their, one of their students just spoke uh, on stage at the Microsoft Inspire on the main stage mm. and, and, uh, and just had a meeting with, with Sachin Nadala. Like, these, are, you know, these are kids and they're, they're, the group, their goal is not to create unicorn companies. Their goal is to create unicorn people. Mm-hmm. People who go on to impact the lives of a billion people, right? In a positive way. Think about that. Like yeah. that is a fundamental mind shift. And if we can do that at scale, then you can definitely change that percentage of how many people are going after that. Because at the end of the day, I break it down to something so so simple. Don't be a consumer. Be a creator. Yeah. Yeah, and, so true. You know, and one of the lessons that I, I try to teach people is don't watch the news, make the news. Right. Yeah, and, and it's true. And, and like, don't, don't make it by doing something <laughs> like, you know, crashing your car or doing something stupid. Make the news in, in a way that is, you know, is, is positive to the world. Yeah, because, I mean, realistically, if we look at the news, I mean, they don't really do, they don't really contribute at all in, in any way. In for, for our life, at they all. detract. They, they detract. detract from from our society because if you were to watch, and especially in the U.S., like Fox News, oh my God! <laughs> I remember I only watched it once, and it was in Miami, and I, my buddy flipped it on, and the first half was like you know shooting, a stabbing, a, you know gunshots, oh, yeah. robberies, this and that. I was like, oh, holy crap, man! And, and the commercial break went on, and I said to him, I said, Jesus, is this every day? He goes, Oh yeah, yeah, this is like this is every day. And he goes, But that's you know they always leave the juiciest one for the end. I was like, What? <laughs> so the commercial break ends, and it was like a triple murder, homicide, like oh my god, oh, my god. yeah. And, that was just one day. And so if you're watching that every day, you wake up in the morning, 7 a.m., you flip on the news, you hear there's a murder, you know, killing, car crash, <laughs> helicopter crash, boat <laughs> on fire, and you're like, okay, well, uh, that sucks. And you go on your day, and you're thinking about all these horrible things that have happened. Then you come home at night, you have your dinner, maybe you read the newspaper, which is a bunch of other stuff, stock market crash, and oh my God, exactly. you know, Trump did this or whatever. <laughs> and then... At night, you go to bed, you watch the 11 o'clock news, and so you're waking up <laughs> with horrible things, and you're going to bed with horrible things. How do you think that makes you as a human? It kills all the subconscious, any good subconscious thoughts. And, right? uh, and it also makes people really, uh, you know, really good. And, like, it also helps to control people really well. 
from the political standpoint, from any any campaign standpoint? Well, if you look at uh, you know the political political uh, standpoint in the U.S. right now, you have two two factions: people who watch watch Fox News and people who watch CNN. It's no longer about <laughs> yeah. Republicans or you know Democrats. Right. It literally is about who watches Fox and and those kind of shows versus who watches CNN and those kind of shows. And it, it, you know we've I don't know if you've read Yuval Harari's book. Um, there's two books: um, Sapiens, mm -hmm. which is kind of a history of humanity, and then there's Homo Deus. Humans two point Have it on the list. Have it on the list. You I gotta read, read Homo Homo Deus. So basically, what he says is in in humans 2.0 and where you know what are where we are right now as humans and where we're going we've kind of like democracy was the best was the best thing we found mm -hmm. democracy and capitalism were like okay these are the best systems are they the perfect system absolutely not you look at the wealth disparity gaps we have and like there's a lot of problems with them but yeah. they're the best ones we've figured out so far you know that will change in the future we'll figure out other ones with blockchain and other ways to kind of redistribute wealth and, and kind of bring people up but for now democracy and capitalism are the best systems we found in the world but what he's saying is democracy is no longer, uh, we no longer have choice in democracy mm. because of the media, because of the way we're being brainwashed on social media, on news media. We don't have freedom of thought anymore because of the content that's being given to us and force fed to us. It's an illusion of choice. It is. And we don't have a choice. You have a, you have a choice in the States. Vote red or blue. Yeah. And, you know... If you're voting red, then you know you watch Fox News. If you're voting blue, then I, I don't even know which one's which, but I, yeah. I don't even care. Like right. I live in Canada, so you know we have we have conservatives and and uh, liberals, and they're about the same anyway. We, we kind of have this like they get along on things, and you know it's not so polarizing and right. It's it's very very much you know if you vote for one, you vote for the other. It's really no difference. No, it's <laughs> like, so true. They they all agree with each other, and you know it's it, we don't have this polarizing you know, faction, you know, thus versus them. And those were, you know, those dirty Republicans and those, yeah. you know, those, uh, you know, whatever. Which is, which is society benefits anyways. But um, Ellen, uh, any books, I mean, you mentioned two, which are, I'm, I'm going to link it uh, as well at, in the show notes. Any books that you keep coming back to, you think people should read? It's, it's uh, maybe something that you found valuable for you. Sure. Uh, I have a bunch. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, if you're kind of starting out and you want to know if entrepreneurship is right for you, Rich Dad Poor Dad is, is a really good understanding of the difference between being an employee, being a business owner, being a, um, sorry, being an employee, being like uh, self-employed, mm -hmm. uh, like a doctor or a lawyer or something, being a business owner, meaning you own a business that employs other people, and then being an investor. And ultimately, you want to be an investor because then your money is working for you rather than your time. Right. And there's these four quadrants. And, you know, the, the fundamental difference between being an employee and a business owner is, is just the, the way you're taxed. So as an employee, you make your money, the government takes their, their tax, and then you get to spend what's what's left over. It's just like as nothing. An, as a, well, I mean, there's Well, there's whatever. Small. You know, yeah. you get to spend what's left over. But as a business, you make your money, you spend, you know, what you're thinking, and then you're taxed on what's left over. Mm-hmm. See the fundamental difference there? Yeah. And it makes a huge difference, not to mention the tax rates are, are less and stuff. So if we could convince every human in America to suddenly register as a business and you know and start billing their their employee employers as a business, then you would fundamentally have to change the whole tax code, right? Because right. you know that that's how it works. Yeah. So Rich Dad Poor Dad's one. Second one is a, a book called Success Principles by Jack mm -hmm. Canfield. He's the guy who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. Um, and if you've ever read or watched The Secret, it's like, you know, 
give out positivity and positivity will come to you and oh, it's very very shishifufu and it's great but yeah. it doesn't give you it doesn't tell you how mm-hmm. it doesn't give you the instructions so success principles is like the secret with an instruction manual okay okay so just do the yeah. instructions and you're okay. good the last one in it well, there's a bunch, but yeah. uh, one that I've read recently is called Principles by Ray Dalio. Oh, it's a good one. Uh, it is a really thick book. It's it's not something that I would read in my 20s because it just wouldn't make sense. But mm. I, I mean, as you kind of enter into your 30s and start to read more deep text, this is something that would kind of set you, set your life principles and your business principles for life. I, I think it's a really good one for people to read. Yeah, deep, very deep thinking, very deep thinking, yep. and an amazing yep. culture that he built, uh, which is, yep. yeah, like totally, totally very cool. Alan, where is everybody can find you online? Sure. Uh, so I, I run three businesses. Metaverse, M-E-T-A-V-R-S-E, is our consulting firm and custom build. So we build virtual and augmented reality solutions for companies. The second uh, is XR Ignite, which is a community hub where we've brought the entire B2B uh, virtual augmented mixed reality community together. So that's XRIgnite.com. Mm-hmm. And then I run a podcast called XR for Business, and it's XRforBusiness.io. And uh, we've done, uh, I've recorded about 60 episodes now, and it's talking about how virtual augmented mixed reality and AI are contributing to the bottom line of businesses. Very cool. I'll link it all below. Everybody can go and check out what you're doing. I think you're doing some amazing things and uh, you have uh, a ton of followers on LinkedIn, which is which is very yeah, cool. Yeah, you can hit me up on LinkedIn as well. Unfortunately, I've reached the cap at LinkedIn. There's only um, there's a limit of 30,000 people that you can add and um, I've reached that limit. So uh, if you want to add me on LinkedIn, uh, I will be setting up a second uh, a second account yeah which so is weird we can... like the why would they not just maybe increase the limit or do something because linkedin it's it's growing i don't know they just they just threatened to kick me off today because i was using uh, an automated service to, so, to send messages <laughs> and I, I like i'm a big fan of that one that you are using <laughs> yeah link for those of you listening there's one called linked helper but the problem is it's a chrome plugin i actually heard of a, a new one last night hold on i'll find it for everybody while yeah. you're listening here there's a new one that i i just heard uh they emailed it to me yesterday called standby okay i'm gonna be interested for sure standby here it is uh, no that's not it phantom buster wow that's a name yeah. that's a good phantom name. buster and it, it runs in the cloud so uh it's very hard for linkedin to track so it's kind of a new one now very phantom cool buster. Uh, i think there's so much potential linkedin is not really tapping it's it's a whole different conversation but it's just amazing <laughs> that they're sitting on this data and do nothing with it which is if you're not spending time on linkedin you're missing out because linkedin is what facebook used to be where everybody went there to to collaborate and learn yeah you know facebook is very much uh, around you know just people's family and, and cats and food <laughs> now but you know linkedin is what facebook was Ellen, last question. What impact would you like to make with the work you're doing? So our ultimate goal by uh, by 2037 is to democratize education globally. We want to use exponential technologies to decrease the time to educate and then make those tools available for free around the world so that we can bring every human up to a level of education that... Uh, because, look, as humanity, not just a country, not Canada versus U.S. versus mm-hmm. China, but as humanity, if we can educate everybody and give them all these amazing mindsets of, of solving the world's problems, then we have exponentially more people contributing to the economy, contributing to the success of humanity, solving the world problems so we don't, you know, don't destroy this world. So I think education uh, needs to be democratized. And I, I think somewhere along the way, and I don't know why, but somewhere along the way, we decided it would be a good idea to, to charge people money to go to school. Mm. 
And I think we've got it backwards. I think what we need to do is figure out a way to pay students to learn. Right. And, you know, Denmark does that. They pay you to go to school and, you mm. know, other other Scandinavian countries. And even Canada, we subsidize the crap out of university. So yeah. you pay, you know, a couple grand to go to university versus, you know, 100 grand in the U.S. But, you know, if you look at where the U.S. is going, there's a, a trillion and a half dollars in student debts. Mm. Trillion and a half. That's the gross domestic product of most countries. So, you know, that's got to change. 100%. Yeah, it's 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 um it's a big it's a huge drag not only for people but just in general for society. Agreed. Alan, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing your thoughts. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for um you know, for having me. It's been great. Yeah, awesome. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.